0: I'm Eric McNulty, and welcome to the latest episode of Leader Ready Cast. Looking back over the past couple of years, we can certainly say what a long, strange trip it's been. Yet the challenge for leaders is to look forward, not backward, to see around the corner, over the horizon, to bring people into an uncertain future with hope and confidence. And given the many sources of uncertainty in the world, looking forward is a really daunting task. To help us sort through this, I'm joined today by Donna DuPont. Donna has a background in emergency management and is founder and chief strategist for foresight and design at Purple Compass. In her work, she applies futures and design thinking to emergency management, healthcare, and the military. She has particular interest in climate change adaptation, disaster risk reduction, sustainable development. She's got amazing insights to share with us today. I'm really looking forward to the conversation. Donna is going to help us build our own sort of mental periscopes to better anticipate what lies ahead. So Donna DuPont, welcome to Leader Readycast.
1: Thank you for the invitation to join today's podcast.
0: Oh, it's great to have you with us. I'm really looking forward to this. So let's, let's just start with the basics. How do you define foresight and design and how are they different than planning and forecasting, things we're more familiar with?
1: That's a really great question. I love that we're starting from definitions. I think it's so important. So when we talk about foresight and design, um, those types of um, methodologies are, are very different from the planning paradigm. So when we think about planning, Typically, we think about closed systems, we, t- we think about certain variables. Planning is all about being able to take activities and, and move it forward to implementation or action. So, there is, um, it's quite valuable. I use planning still in a lot of the work that I do. But, um, but planning has limitations. Um, simply, um, you know, being a closed system, being working with very select variables. Um, There can be blind spots and and when you're dealing with higher levels of complex systems you're dealing with emergence and change happening and you're dealing with broader system change. It's really important to understand kind of both the the lenses and the boundaries of your planning and your assumptions and and look for opportunities to expand those lenses beyond, and this is what design and foresight provides. Um, so design can really there's a lot of definitions around design, but design really um it, it encompasses in my work systems thinking um, and being able to understand kind of what's happening in the system so really work with complexity and ambiguity, um, and that's a really great uh, connection to foresight, because in order to do foresight, you really have to have a good understanding of systems, what's changing, what's emerging, and how things could play out moving forward into the future. So there's a really um, important connection between design and foresight. And of course, uh, it's, it's all connected to planning as well.
0: And, and planning, as I understand it, tends to have a relatively short time horizon. You're looking yes. at what you're doing with what, what you've got, where it's going to go, what when's it need to get there, and, and foresight is much more variable in its in the time horizon. Is that correct?
1: That is true, um, definitely, and the intentions are different. In, in planning, we're looking to um, it's it's really about now, you know, the current uh, bringing agency um, and moving things into implementation now. So it's a very short time horizon, maybe it's within you know a year or two years. Uh, so very short term, it could be based on risk assessments, um, things that we know that are issues now that we need to take action on. So um, it's, it's very short term in terms of the horizon. But when you look at foresight, uh, foresight is really challenging uh, the, the time horizon. It's looking uh, much more beyond five years and it's looking at change. So typically planning focuses on what we know and, and, and certainty of, of what, you know, our assumptions, of our risks and uh, and, uh, and and moving that into action based on what we know now. But uh, foresight is the opposite. It's all about change and the uncertainty and, uh, and having different kinds of conversations.
0: So can you give us, just to help us better understand this, a short case example of how leaders have applied foresight and design Uh, on the ground?
1: Yes. Um, I think one of the best examples of it um, is my time and the time I've spent at the Canadian Forces College. It's been over the last five years, I've had the opportunity to be part of um, um, a military and civilian design team that delivers these uh, intensive type of design exercises. And, And so these exercises are really about, applying foresight and design to really complex military challenges. And and so how this is structured, and it's evolved over time, um, used to be more of a a direct facilitation, so a little bit more um, teaching, but over the years, it's been more about coaching, you know, senior military officers on how to think differently, how to explore complex problems, and, and think about different solutions. And, and how it's evolved, um, most recently this year, we had a very large exercise in June at the college. Uh, we brought in the joint command. Um, so it was, um, we are dealing with uh, not, ju- not just the uh, advanced Warfighting college, but the national security program, and you know, bringing in like officers from, you know, air, land, sea, all dealing with different issues. And putting together different um, teams to work on complex problems sponsored by defense. So these are challenges that internally um, the government's working on, or trying to get an understanding, and are looking for new insights, new ways of understanding the problem, and new ideas for solutions. So again, this is a really great example of of an intensive exercise where it provided an opportunity for officers to use the tools to ask different questions, to expand their perspective of the problem and come up with new insights. And and so how that distilled down was um, a report back, um, a presentation, like a pitch um, presentation to the sponsoring agency in defense and to have a conversation about what their, how they perceive the problem where they see the challenges, where they see the opportunities, and some new ideas for solutions. And it opened up this really incredible space for dialogue and and being able to kind of bring new ideas together. So I think that is such a great example because it showcases the importance of being able to use these tools in a real-life setting to have very important conversations for change.
0: So without getting into the secret squirrel stuff, can you just be a little bit more concrete about how how did you coach a leader to get from, say, a more linear approach to looking at the complexity? Was there something, a specific example you can give us?
1: Yeah. So it's usually, um, it depends on the challenge, uh, the statement that they're working on. And I worked um, with three senior officers. They were each leading a syndicate. And we, we identified based on the challenge, how we wanted to understand the problem. So we used human-centric design in some of the cases where we wanted to understand um, different perspectives, um, how people think, you know, um, how they feel and how that can translate into actions and narratives. So getting into that, that cycle to, to understand new insights of, of, of perspectives which was helpful for some of the challenges, we also got into systems a little bit and understanding where there's turbulence where there's conflicts and what's leading to that and how they can amplify or how we can how we can dampen some of those things. And then we also applied foresight in one of the um, syndicates because they were doing um, a strategy piece, they were looking at. Uh, defence policy in a changing environment and they wanted to know whether the current one was still was still accurate, relevant and where did it need to be um, adjusted? Where were there new opportunities? And so that was where we applied foresight and we we did some scenarios but these were not your typical planning scenarios, these were foresight exploratory scenarios based on emerging issues and weak signals of change and they stimulated a lot of different conversations and we pulled out a lot of ideas around how the landscape could change and what that could mean for defense, defense policy and for Canada. So that was, those are just some of the methodologies that we explored, but um, it was um, powerful. Each each particular um, syndicate had a different sequence but it was led by, um, it was led by their um, their uh facilitator so it was a student-led facilitator but it was always in combination like we would assess the situation and the problem when we use the correct tools for the next level of of inquiry
0: so you mentioned weak signals of change and i know that's mm-hmm. an important part of foresight could, mm-hmm. could you talk about a bit about what weak signals are and and how you get people, particularly in risk averse organizations, to sort of be open, open their aperture to see those weak signals? Because I know so often in my experience, when you're in a, a risk averse organization, everybody wants to sort of see the, the solid case. You know, what's what's the data behind this? And you don't you don't have that yet. Yet you still have to pay attention to it. So how do you go about yeah. making that shift?
1: It's um, I'm pretty intentional about about the application of um, of using foresight. I I tend to like to meet people where they are. So if they're very um, much in a forecasting, a very risk threat type of um, lens, which a lot of um, my work involves working with a variety of professionals that are very focused on that. And, um, And it's all about slowly starting to expand that anticipatory lens. And typically what I like to do And what I found very helpful is to start with the risks and the threats and and understanding that, right? Because that is quite, um, it's usually based on a fair bit of knowledge. It's based on what we know about the system. And then from there, it opens up an opportunity to then talk about some mapping of the system. What's changing, right? (laughs) So yeah, so this is where you start to talk about like, pushes what's pushing change in the system and these could be some of the emerging issues so these are issues that um, are starting to emerge they're they're important they are not part of the the mainstream dialogue yet Um, but uh, but we know that they have the potential to become influential so starting to talk about those emerging issues it's, it's you'll be surprised that those that are in the risk threat landscape really understand systems. They understand the different variables within a system and they can start to really be precise about where are some of those emerging issues. Um, and then the weak signals of change are also talking, it's, it's not issues-based, but it's talking about what's changing in the system and how are these changes. And these could be um, different types of changes. could be a technology change. This could be um, social change, this could be related to uh, climate. Um, but how are these changes? Um, these are you know long-standing, small incremental changes that can be very influential. So uh, in my experience, when you start to bridge between the forecasting and you start to talk about emerging issues, weak signals and where the uncertainty is, this is where you're getting into the foresight zone. This is where you're starting to be less certain right and more into the plausible space and so this is a great opportunity to collect that information and use those insights in a very constructive way
0: and i think that's so important i mean there is that again as you've talked about, that which you can plan for, which is fra- fairly concrete. There is that which, at the far outside, which is possible. And then you get to so what's what's plausible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know as I look back over the past couple of years with the, the COVID response, particularly here in, in the States, that um, I think there was a, a, an assumption of high compliance, mm-hmm. that common threat, Common response: High, we can we can we can count on high compliance, and of course we didn't. And I think again, this is perhaps a little bit shorter term than you would normally work with 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 the uh, foresight thinking. Uh, but if you had looked at the social and political environment, uh, you would have seen actually that it was plausible you would get uh, low compliance and certainly and even active resistance to what you were trying to do. And uh, perhaps having worked some of the, that questioning in you know, or at least having built out the the uh the possibility that you would have gotten something other than that implicit assumption would have helped people better anticipate or or be thinking about what am i going to do if dot dot dot
1: absolutely this is why as part of a planning or policy documenting your assumptions is so critical because as those assumptions um If they don't hold true, then it's an opportunity to re-examine your planning, to re-examine what's changing, and to modify, Um, sometimes in real time, sometimes, um, you know, you can modify over the longer period, but definitely the assumptions are key. And that's part, a big part of futures, is being, um, is understanding those assumptions and really examining them to see if they do hold true moving forward.
0: One of the things that has fascinated me since we've first met a couple of years ago, several years ago now, uh, is that you, know, you come out of the emergency management world into the future space, into, into foresight. Uh, you're very concerned with how you apply this thinking in emergency management and disaster risk reduction. So as you've as you've gone on that journey, so what have you learned, and and how do you think area leaders in this area can best put your insights to work?
1: A good question. I, I've learned so much through, um, through deliberate practice of, of foresight and design, um, especially in military and public safety and security context. And I would say probably one of the things that really stand out to me is, is the how many people operate with a management and a very fixed mindset. Um, And that's a big part of a lot of organizations is the management piece. And and a lot of times management is really about planning, preparedness. It's very much about um, certainty and what we know. So forecasting and and contingencies. But but it's it's really about maintaining the status quo. It's, It's not about change necessarily. And it's about just kind of understanding what may be risks, threats, how do we mitigate, how do we have contingency plans if we go back to the baseline. And, um, and, and so it doesn't necessarily take into consideration the broader contextual environment, how, how, the, the, how things are changing in the bigger picture. And, and so when you think about design and foresight, what you're, what you're really looking at is a growth mindset. It's one that's having a different conversation, but the intention isn't to go back to status quo. The intention is for change. The intention is about how can we, or how do we need to do things differently moving forward? Where do we need to invest um, new resources, maybe new technology, maybe new capabilities, new ways of, of working? How does that have to shift given what's changing? So so there's a shift in mindset that's really, um, important. And so that's one thing I, I try to really emphasize in my work is, is um, the difference in mindset. And, and because there's a difference in mindset, you need to create a special space to work with foresight and design. It can't be off the side of your table if you're, if you're really focused on like management and, and crisis all the time. It, it has to be its own protective space, but, but there's, a, there's a connection between the two because a lot of the insights, a lot of the understandings of the system vulnerabilities and challenges are a critical information that can be carried over into foresight and design. And so there's a need for um, for communication between the two, and and being able to move insights over.
0: Yeah, one of the organizations I know who's gone through some some of this or some version of this is, is the U.S. Coast Guard, mm-hmm. uh, where they've they have gone and they it's now sort of an ongoing process, um, looking at how they remain relevant, mm-hmm. and part of that exercise was they postulated it in a way that they forced you to look at those external factors. Absolutely. Because they said, you know, we could do what we do and we could even do it really, really well and still not be relevant if we don't adapt to the changes around us. And I think, again, so what you said, talked about in terms of the, so much of the focus on, on planning and predictability is sort of how do we get better at what we already do mm-hmm. without enough attention paid to those external factors? Mm-hmm. And I think what you're talking about, which I think is so important, of, creating a special space or a, a way to look at it just to, to open that lens up wide, to look for those weak signals of change and to say, what, what, what can we see coming anyway? It changes in the context in which we operate and mm-hmm. therefore how we better how better we change, how should we best change mm-hmm. in order to remain relevant and effective to achieve our mission?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. There's, there's a saying in design that it's better to disrupt yourself. And it's better to have the change come from within and sometimes change is very difficult but we wait for external situations to push and then we're forced to change but there's a lot more power in being able to identify the challenges and then to be able to proactively work with that um you know to to talk about opportunities for change and that's really the other side of challenges within a system is um, there could be challenges, there could be vulnerabilities, but then there's the opportunity. Where's where's an opportunity to do something differently? And so this is another important insight I've learned, and I've I've um, over the last few years is that working with a lot of professionals that are very strong, planning minded, um, they will often say, "Oh, I'm a linear thinker," you know, and um, this is really hard. And and what I've come to learn is that is not true not true at all in military emergency management public safety security it's not true at all for those that are working in that space they actually do understand the system complexity quite well It's just they're using very linear tools um, to try to take that complexity and distill it down so there's there's an opportunity here um, to you know when we have conflict when we have crisis to be able to, really understand what's working and what not working and and have this safe environment like psychological safety in our capturing our lessons learned to really highlight okay these are issues that are break these are breaking down in the system these are conflicts these are tensions, we need to highlight them, and those highlights are so important in the system because those are the starting point for change, and the starting point for important questions. And so as a professional, if you're wanting like that first step to, um, you know, towards design or towards thinking about the future, understanding the current system and understanding what's not working is, is being able to capture that knowledge and to move that knowledge forward is, is, is an important first step for action.
0: Now, the prompts to do that kind of thinking are not new. We've been talking about a VUCA world for since the 1990s, right? Volatile, uncertain, mm. complex, and ambiguous. More recently, we've had BANI, brittle, anxious, nonlinear, and incomprehensible. I'm not sure if that's just playing, you know, acronym games there, because it doesn't seem that much different. But there have been people out there talking about how turbulent the world is and how, and in many ways, uh, it's diff- difficult to, pr- to predict change. Um, yeah, you're talking about some 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 proven ways to be able to get smarter about this. And again, you're not predicting the future, but you're beginning to anticipate what might happen. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you see as you look ahead or, or how do you see this this practice evolving uh, within our profession?
1: Well, I think well, just looking ahead broadly, I think we are we're heading down a very turbulent path in the world. And, and you can see that with a lot of the well just looking at the pandemic and how things have unfolded and, and how it's impacted so many people around the world and, and so many structures systems it's it's um, it's it's been a big wake up call in terms of just the fragility within the current system and and what we see at a a broader level is that that turbulence, those patterns of changes in the system are continuing to grow. And so a lot of the vulnerabilities that haven't been addressed long-term, those chronic vulnerabilities are are erupting um, and and causing a lot of acute problems. And and these aren't just like surface issues. These are existential issues that deal with, you know, human security at the fundamental, you know, fundamentally, right? Because we're talking about just, you know, safety, security, basic access to certain food, water, energy—it's—it's um, it's significant. So when you think about that change in the contextual environment, you know, there's going to be a lot more turbulence, and so there's going to be a lot more push on our systems, all of our systems, um, to to change, to evolve, and to break from some of the things that have hold held us to the past, and 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 so we need to kind of have a vision of where we wanna go moving forward. And, and sometimes a vision can be part of principles or values um, or just a narrative that shapes a forward path. So I see a lot of organizations um, getting pressure to, to change because things are going to get more complex. And, and it's not just complex from an individual organization standpoint. It's These are complex challenges that are interconnected across system stakeholders. And one of the most interesting projects I was part of this, um, this spring summer was a project through the Archipelago of Design, which is a, a nonprofit design community of practice in defense and security in Canada. And, and, and we had an opportunity to um, to support uh, expert dialogue consultations on climate and security. And this is um, all part of uh, various inputs to understand the future um, climate and security center of excellence for NATO. So this was an interesting workshop series because it brought in a range of experts around the world. So those that were working in humanitarian and um, crisis response, military and defense, as well as peacekeeping and development, and then you have academics, and and those in public policy as well in all of those areas. And what what I learned from that process is that all of these stakeholders and all of their roles are so interconnected in these really large global challenges. And, and, you know, as we, it's a spectrum, and, you know, in terms of different challenges and that everyone has a role to play and that the collaboration and cooperation is probably going to be it's so important and probably on an unprecedented scale moving forward uh, in order to address these, these issues. And so I see going forward for emergency management, um, you know, a lot more collaboration um, with other system stakeholders Maybe more directly or indirectly, depending on the scope, but um, but definitely being able to move insights, move um, you know, knowledge, intelligence across uh, to be able to, to take action on um, that that would be incredible to be able to have that um, that collective sharing of intelligence, knowledge, and being able to kind of come together a little bit with. Um, a common objective and and to be able to align activities um, all moving towards you know a similar outcome would be would be helpful with some of the the broader challenges that we're dealing with um, so I, I do see a lot of um, opportunity for system collaboration moving into the future
0: well you just hit on so many points that are near and dear to my heart I've been following some long-term trends for about 15 years now. And I often prompt people or suggest to them as one way to begin to reorient their thinking that we were lucky enough to have a period of relative stability from post-World War II into the very beginning of of the 21st century. And now we're transitioning to what, historically always comes is periods of relative instability, right? There's we, we never go for a long period of time when things are things are great. Um, and if you just begin to think of, oh, we're in a period of relative turbulence, relative instability, that that alone could begin to, uh, to prompt how you look at things a bit differently. And again, I think as you said earlier, articulate your assumptions, so that you don't get blindsided by operating under an assumption that's that's clearly false um and then your notion around collaboration um you know we do a lot of work at the mpli around looking at the evolutionary roots of of leadership and human behavior and we humans have thrived on the planet because we compete as every species compete as inter and intra species competition but we also collaborate we're one of those species that can work well together and that's how we have survived and done well over millennia and yet yet we've gotten really good at pushing the compete button, and we're not nearly as good at pushing the collaborate button. Yeah. And so we've got to sort of unlearn some of that, not that competition is bad, is appropriate times for it. But as you say, as, as we face these large, complex, existential emerging risks, we have to be able to push that, that, that collaboration button more frequently and be able to do it really well, because uh, we're going to have to work together if we're going to overcome all that we're facing.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, it is a systems, it's a multi-stakeholder uh, systemic approach that's needed because every every partner um, in the system needs to do their part um, in order to be successful as a whole. So very important moving forward.
0: So given all that turbulence mm-hmm. and uncertainty, let me ask you one final question. I ask yeah. all my guests. Yes. What gives you hope?
1: Oh, so such a good question. Um, You know, for me, I look at turbulence, a lot of my work in in design and foresight is is looking at turbulence and chaos, but looking at not just from from a, a threat challenge perspective, but the opportunities that it provides and it provides opportunities to understand what's at the root. It hides opportunities to ask different questions about how can we slow this down? How could we mitigate? How could we put balance in the system? How do we need to restructure what we do? So, so I feel like turbulence, the other side is lots of opportunity um, for change. And so what gives me hope, when I, when I think of hope, I think hope is, is such a great word. And I think it's a powerful position to view life. And it's a very optimistic state. And I think it's very important when you are thinking about, you know, short term, long term, you're thinking about anything that you're doing, with, or whether it's planning, strategy, public policy, um, what's, your, what's your position and your outlook on life? Um, it's very important because that level of consciousness really allows us to take in information differently. There are certain ideas that will amplify because of our outlook, and there's certain ideas we're gonna immediately eliminate because of our outlook. And so having that awareness is is really critical, but getting back to your question about hope, I think hope is so important because it's, it's a very high emotional state where it's really about having an optimistic view about the future and it's a, it's a willingness when you're hopeful you're willing you're willing to learn but also unlearn things and you're there's a willingness for change um, and and that change can inspire steps and action and that's what that's what gives me hope is that I, I believe in times of conflict in times of turbulence that it it it's a wake up call that we need to do things differently. And that I, I do feel like that people wanna see a better future. They, they wanna see change. And so for me, I, I, I what gives me hope is that I think that all of what we're going through, we're going to learn and we're going to have those important conversations to make better decisions moving forward.
0: Well, Donna, DuPont, thank you so much for sharing your insights with us today. You can find more about Donna and her work at www.purplecompass.ca. That's .ca, not not .com. Uh, You have a lot more information there. And thank you so much. It's been a really valuable conversation, and I look forward to continuing it in the future. This has been another episode of Leader Readycast from the National Preparedness Leadership Initiative. Subscribe to Leader Readycast wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And find out more about us at npli.sph.harvard.edu. Follow us on Twitter at HarvardNPLI. Thanks for listening and be ready to lead.